everyone, welcome to the All About Animal Show. My name is Nikita Dewan, and today I'm really looking forward to be talking to Anthony Lovell. He is based in Australia and is a wildlife poet who writes stories that support the conservation of endangered species and biodiversity. He has several amazing projects where he collaborates with and writes poems for other animal welfare organizations. Thank you so much for joining today, Mr. Lovell. How are you? I'm very well, Nikki. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, and your work is amazing. We're so excited to have you today. And it's very unique and I think different from uh, what we've had um, on this show so far. So um, I'm interested, why don't you tell us about your background, how you became interested in wildlife poetry and sort of arrived at this intersection? Well, it turns out that I was um, really returning to uh, something that I always had as a great passion from when I was a child. Really, um, when I started writing on LinkedIn about uh, endangered species, when I saw people were so interested in the environments and extinctions and things like that, I just just started commenting and then started writing some verses and then these verses became poems. But when I started to, or when I stopped to think about where all this was coming from, um, it really was a return to my 10 year old self. And uh, on my website, you might have seen a photo of me when I was about 10 or 11 uh, with two lizards, two large lizards, a bearded dragon and a blue tongue skink and, and a very large turtle on my lap. And that was basically my whole childhood. I spent all my, all my spare time up in the Australian bush at the end of the street, down the creek, looking for native fish and watching animals and learning and and when I was growing up, there was something on the only sort of animal shows on the TV was something called Wild Kingdom. <laughs> mm. um, and I used to watch those. And then we got some encyclopedias and, and uh, about animals. And I just, just loved to spend time learning about uh, those animals. Um, and then it kind of got forgotten when I grew up. I never sort of went into that field until, as I said, about uh, maybe 18 months ago, I started writing mm. uh, because I felt that I needed to be doing something different and uh, finally sort of giving a voice to the animals that um, don't have a voice of their own. Right, yeah. Um, I love that, you know, giving a voice uh, to the voiceless. I think that's really important. And um, so I was looking at your website and the name of your initiative is called The One Million poetry so I was very interested what is the story behind that name yes it's a, it turns out to be a pretty dramatic name but it's a dramatic um, state of affairs really mm. I read in 2019 the IPBES report um, on the current about the current rate the current trajectory of human habitation of this planet if we kept on going the same way then up to one million species would be at risk of extinction. And seeing there's only about between seven and eight million species, and that includes everything right, right down to uh, fungi and bacteria and things like that, losing a million of them is likely to start a chain reaction um, and bring down all sorts of uh, other things, ecosystems, and in the, in the end, we're dependent on all that. So that's where the name, the one million came from, that IPBES report. 
that's not easy to remember the name, the acronym for that. Um, and they're still very active. Just recently brought out some information about how humans use um, uh, the, the environment and species and how dependent we are on it. So um, that's where it came from. It's called the One Million. That name wasn't available um, as, a, as a URL. So because it was poetry about just in support of trying to stop that happening, another mass extinction event, then um, that's where the name came from, onemillionpoetry.com. Right. Yeah. And um, I think what you're talking about dependency on nature and species in general is really important. I think uh, it's um, very critical to understand that the, the um, survival of other species is directly related to our own sustainability. So sort of looking at animal welfare from not just a compassionate viewpoint, but also from a practical perspective that it's just instrumental to us as well because of the services they provide. And, you know, the foundation of your work is very focused on endangered species and the regeneration of biodiversity, as you call it, on your website. So uh, I was hoping you could explain what are some of the causes of the increasing extinction rate at this point? Basically, it's um, human activity. Um, the way that we've set up our whole societies, our whole um, energy systems, our whole economic systems, all of that, when we first started setting them up, um, didn't take into account any environmental costs. And so when the Industrial Revolution came along, they just poured industrial waste into the rivers, um, poured you know, smoke from the smokestacks into the air. Uh, because there was some sort of feeling that it was, you know, infinite. The earth had infinite capacity to deal with whatever waste uh, and implications that we had. So that still continues um, to this day. And then, of course, we're having the, the problems with that feeding into the climate change loop. So climate change in, its, uh, in itself is, is one of the main drivers, but, you know, land clearing... Um, land degradation, uh, human wildlife conflict. Wherever humans are, they, they create problems. Hmm. Uh, waste, waste to the oceans, all of that sort of thing. All of those things are feeding into, um, you know, the possibility or the or the probability of creating these extinctions that we're trying to avoid. So we really need to try to, to get away from that. Yeah, I completely agree with those uh, causes, you know, habitat fragmentation, just um, sort of the conflict between economic development and sustainability. I think uh, what you mentioned, it's very human centered. Um, and uh, what are some of the consequences and risks of this extinction? And why, more importantly, should it matter to us as, you know, humans? Well, as you as you pointed out, Nikki, um, there's something that we didn't even factor into the equations in the beginning, and that was ecosystem services. The fact that ecosystems actually create things that we need to survive and to stay on this planet, and so that is is very very important um, as far as that goes. Um, so. Sorry, just got a little bit distracted there for a moment. Can you just continue for a sec? Yeah, yeah, sure. 
Okay, can you just bring me back to where I was? I oh yeah, we just had about, a distraction. Uh, we we're talking about the consequences and risks of extinction. Uh, yes, that's right. And the ecosystem services that we never factored in. These, in the end, are, are as I said, feeding into things like the you know the carbon cycle, and climate change, and ocean ocean uh, currents and, and ocean life, everything everything that we are not recognising uh, or haven't recognised up until now have been really important to keeping the whole biosphere working uh, and we need the biosphere to be working so that humans can survive too. So in the end, we're going to, you know, we really need to make sure that we live within the planetary systems and there's been a lot of work done now uh, about that and uh, you know a lot of work looking at uh, valuing those ecosystem services valuing you know what a whale is worth in terms of its carbon uh, sequestration or even you know apes uh, even gorillas in uh, right. africa uh, bison in in the uk they're now talking about you know getting them involved and of course you with your love of elephants you know yeah. that um they also have a big role to play in, in uh, the carbon cycle and mitigating climate change. So what we really should be doing is paying them just to do their job, and, <laughs> yeah. which, is just, which is just being alive and just doing what elephants do or whales do or bison do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just them naturally existing in the wild, they already provide so much benefit. And, I mean, I guess one of the larger largest problems with extinction is just how how the rate is increasing so much because you know obviously there's a background rate and it is a natural phenomenon but uh you know as you mentioned on your website it's um can you mention just about like in any statistics about what rate is extinction going at um do you have anything in mind um no but i I have heard I have heard them talking about the background extinction rate, and it's way way higher. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I really can't remember, but it's you know it's something like hundreds of times higher. And right. we just we in Australia we just we just had a report, a state of the environment report released, in which another fifty three animals were either added to um, uh, endangered or critically endangered, or upgraded to critically endangered. And Australia is leading the world in, in mammal extinctions. And look, that, that's one of the other factors we've got to mention before. It's feral animals. And that's a big, big issue here in Australia is uh, cats um, in, in, the, in the environment yeah. who are killing such a lot of wildlife to the point where conservation, even in central Australia, even out in the deserts, means putting up uh, exclosures, fences to keep um, feral predators out so that the animals can have got a chance of surviving and, and building up their populations again, whether you're talking about bilbies or, or numbats or anything mm, yep. small that, that are predated by cats. So that's another big, big factor. And then of weed, there's weed um, incursions. And we've, that report also just pointed out that in Australia we have more introduced uh, plant species now than there are, or, or more introduced species as plants and animals than natives. 
And so oh. that means, you know, that, that just shows the scale and scope of the problem that uh, we're dealing with, particularly with sensitive ecosystems and uh, invasive feral uh, animals and plants. Right. Yeah. And um, you mentioned also one of the causes is human wildlife conflict. And, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, you had written a very heartfelt poem about Cecil the lion. And it's one of my favorite poems. Um, and I, I understand that it's related to, you know, trophy hunting. So uh, can you just tell us about his story and what it signifies for, you know, the trophy hunt, ban trophy hunting campaign? Yes, yes. Well, um you know, when Cecil the Lion was killed eight, you know, seven years ago, you know, I wasn't really aware of all these sort of things. But last year, I wrote that poem last anniversary um, and then republished it again on my new website. Um, basically, what's happening in uh, Africa is that for, you know, under the guise of sometimes conservation, raising money for conservation, helping to reduce wildlife conflict, um, bringing money to the local community, supposedly. They say, well, you can kill, kill a lion or an elephant for 50,000 US dollars. And if you want to take his head home, it will cost you another $50,000. And that's supposed to raise a whole lot of money and do a whole lot of good things, which, of course, has been discredited by um, people like Born Free Foundation, as you, as you know. Um, and another report that just came out, very little of that money filters down to the local communities. It uh, is used to sort of just make money for people who have seen an opportunity to make money from people who just seem to want to kill animals for no comprehensible reason, to me anyway. Uh, and so the story with Cecil is that he was lured out of a, um, a reserve uh, with, with uh, you know, food and then shot by a dentist from the US uh, with a bow and arrow. Of course, the bow and arrow is not a very effective way of killing. So uh, Cecil managed to get away, but took him, I think, two days to die before they eventually found him. And, you know, the unnecessary suffering of that for no purpose whatsoever is something that really it's on what gets on my nerves and on a lot of other people as well. And find we find it totally incomprehensible, even even bordering on the psychopathic. And mm. I had written a poem called I Psychopath from the perspective of uh, of um, trophy hunting, oh. which I also call which I also call an uh, an oxymoron mm. because it's neither a trophy and nor is it hunting. Hunting, I mean, all humans used to be hunter gatherers. We used to have to do those things, you know, hunt animals, kill them, use all the animal products to keep ourselves alive, to supplement, you know, other dietary things. Um, but we don't have to anymore, uh, except for, you know, some, some particular tribes that have, you know, are still in the hunter-gathering phases, and that's entirely their right and entirely their history and culture. Um, that's different to someone from the US going over and killing a lion or an elephant or anything just just for the fun of killing right. and neither is it a trophy neither is it a trophy i mean like, trophies used to be something you got through doing for having some prowess in sport or uh, you know or academia or something like that not killing a defenseless animal from a great distance with a gun or a bow mm, yeah 
Yeah, um, I think I think a poem sounds really interesting. Um, and the idea of the oxymoron that you mentioned, I don't think, you know, I agree that there's nothing that's uh, worthy of being proud of by just showing off these animals. And I've also heard in my economics class in school that argument about trophy hunting that if you pay a lot of money to kill one animal, you can, you know, benefit a lot of animals or just help in conservation. I mean, theoretically, it seems fine, but I think in implementation, as you said, it's been discredited and is completely unethical um, as, you know, an animal advocate. And um, it's very unfortunate about Cecil the lion. Um, so just want to say that was a beautiful poem. Um, and um, yeah, I'm glad you, you know, brought awareness to that. Um, and just going more into your projects, I was going through your website, uh, your seven listed projects, and you have, I mean, everything ranging from orangutans to turtles to sustainable branding. Uh, can you just elaborate on a few of these projects and, you know, how you contribute to them uh, with your writing? Yeah, well, they're called projects on the website, but it's also called, it's in the section called the portfolio. It's just various things that I've, have done and they've been evolving since I started those 18 months ago. The first, the first um, collaboration I did or the first poem I wrote for uh, an NGO uh, was for um, Nature Seychelles, uh, the Seychelles Islands, and that was uh, George, the giant Aldabran tortoise. Um, I just, just wrote a poem about it when, when I saw them do a post on LinkedIn about the Aldabran tortoise, the last of the large tortoises from the uh, Atlantic, which um, has a, thankfully a reserve on uh, Cousins Atoll or Cousins Island in the Seychelles. Um, it, not strictly speaking, not um, not critically endangered because they're they're fully protected in those islands now, but all the islands in the in the Atlantic used to have the giant. Giant uh, tortoises, and um, and through part of our history, our seafaring history as human beings, mm -hmm. sailors used to come along, come on land to find food and water, and and uh, they happen to be a good source of food to take along with them on their sea voyages. So that's why there's only that one species left there. And George is quite a um, he has quite a personality. Which I which I wrote in that poem about uh, you know taking on picnic tables <laughs> uh, yeah. as rivals, um, but he's he was just symbolic and and one of the first ones that I wrote and the first the first one I wrote as I said for an NGO and from there whenever I saw someone doing any good work and there was a great story involved in it um, I, you know I would uh, write a poem and publish it and tag the people. And I think that's how we met yeah, uh, with yeah. regard to youth, youth for animals and, uh, and Shankar and, and the other project you were doing, the art, the art project. Um, no, yeah. So that's, that's, really, that's really what they are. Those projects are just purely and simply to, that's what I do. You know, I do the, I do the writing and other people are on the ground doing the hard work. Um, but that's something I can do to help raise awareness, um, particularly, and it works pretty well on social media sometimes. If people like it, they share it, and that helps to raise the awareness. 
And if the awareness gets raised, then hopefully something will come back the way of the NGO to keep doing the good work that they do. And so the orangutan one was for the orangutan foundation. That was uh, someone that uh, did the, some artwork, uh, really nice artwork. And I wrote a poem based on that piece of art to help raise funds for mm. the um, for that foundation. And they were then able to, you know, with the money they raised, they said they were able to, to buy, you know, to purchase or protect, you know, so many hectares of orangutan um, habitat. And that's really what it boils down to. Um, there, are, there are people on the ground. They know what's actually needed. Um, they're already doing the work. And nothing has to be reinvented. You just have to tell the stories mm. that help to bring the attention and then hopefully bring a bit of um, much-needed resources flowing in to keep them doing the good work that they're doing and even expanding it a bit more. Right, yeah, and um, I think that's great. I mean, part of it's just raising awareness and education, which is so important. It's the primary step to any sort of change. And um, on your website, also, you have services, which uh, you have, you know, fundraising campaigns, media collaborations, artistic ones. Um, so it looks like you're, it's a lot of variety of things. Uh, do you want to, you know, talk about any of these services that you provide when you're collaborating with wildlife organizations? Um, well, that's, as, as I said, that's kind of just, it keeps evolving. Yeah. I've, I've, and out of things that I've done and these, these collaborations, you get very good contacts and these contacts can lead to other projects down the track, which may be more substantial. And there's always, there's always a couple of things in the, in the pipeline. People contact, contact me or us in, in this case, really, because I work very closely uh, with Ingrid Lung of the um, Earth Agency based in London. She was mm. the first person to commission some of my poetry. Oh. She commissioned me to write, to write four pieces for the launch of her website. And because we work so well together, we've continued to work and she developed the website for me and, uh, and helps me to look good because all I do is write. <laughs> um, write. All I do is write and post and she sends me all the artwork and things to post. Um, and that's the beauty of having a, you know, a graphic design and, and um, branding people on the side. So that's an example of a collaboration that's actually ongoing and, uh, and keeping me doing what I need to do. One of the more important ones that I would like to mention on that page, or there's, there's one of them that's not like the other, and that's the one that's got some money behind it, and that's doing some kind of collaboration with corporate, the corporate world. Yeah. Um, and trying to, to bring in some of the art that I do that may actually help them to... to um, sell more product based on, on whether, of course, it's environmentally continuous because I like the word continuous rather than sustainable because mm -hmm. that has been dragged through the mud a fair bit you know, with greenwashing. Um, yeah. So if, if, if they can continue doing what they're doing without um, breaching the planetary boundaries within the biosphere, then it's a good, then it's a good thing. Humans need uh, commerce and services from each other for all our needs, we just need to do it within those boundaries. So any corporation that is um, working within them, and there's, there's things called B Corp, B Corporations that have gone through very rigorous um, uh, 
system of um, classification about all their all, all the things they do, and they come up being you know uh, non-earth damaging corporations. So that's there's a few of those that I'd like to continue to work with to help them to succeed anymore. Because the more succeed, the more they succeed, the more they're they're um, helping us come back uh, within the limits that we need to be within. Uh, and some of them are directly involved in this kind of philanthropy for the people who are living in these uh, environments, as well as doing things directly for the conservation of the, of the um, biodiversity of the earth, which we started talking about being more important than we actually understood at the beginning. Um, and now is becoming critically, critically important as we see things like the outskirts of London burning. <laughs> Yeah. Um, on 40-degree days, which I've never experienced before. Mm. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, your work with corporations sounds really interesting uh, because, I mean, I think there is, you know, a growing more responsible consumer base because as consumers, we're more focused on organizations that are more environmentally aware. So I think that's becoming a very large part of part of their, I guess, business strategy and also genuine concern for the environment. But as you said, it's also about um, the more practical side of business. So I think it's that combination of, you know, your artwork and branding with uh, their, um, I guess, sales perspective is very interesting. And um, I mean, I feel like your form of activism, as I mentioned, is more unique because uh, it, you're using art in it and people use the term artistic activism when you use creativity to advocate for a cause. So how do you believe that your poetry and artistic activism in general uh, contributes towards a larger cause, in this case, wildlife conservation? How does it contribute to the, you know, the community? Yeah, it's it comes back to comes back to human beings. But the, the the question of being human, yes, we're we're intelligent beings. Yes, we're rational beings sometimes, although you wonder a lot of the time. But in the end, we're most known um, for being emotional beings. Uh, we we have these emotions, and these emotions are very big drivers. There's, there's two, two great drivers in the natural world, and that's hunger and passing on genes. Hmm. Um, but humans have another dimension entirely, which is the emotional dimension where we've built whole, whole edifices of our um, civilization and cultures and things on um, how we feel as well as you know, what we know. Um, and... Therefore, it's a very powerful driver, um, emotions. Yeah. Um, they, and, and that's why when I first started writing my poems, one of the common things I got back from people in terms of feedback was, you know, you made me cry, I'm crying again. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is, you know, I'm, I'm in tears. Um, and I suddenly realised, well, yes, that can be good. And so I actually wrote that poem, Preemptive Lacrimation, about crying now for species that are endangered so you don't have to cry for them much more bitter tears when they're extinct. In other words, feeling that emotion now, feeling sad at the beginning, usually gives way to another emotion that is determination uh, to get up and do something, and that's where it 
feeds back into the to the artivism and the activism that you were talking about. You feel so passionately about it that you just have to do something and you just can't be quiet and you can't sit still. Um, and so that's where I think it can make the big difference. Seeing a piece of artwork, you know, you, you get you get an emotional response. Um, seeing a, you know, a video, photographs, um, movies, documentaries, they all elicit these emotional responses. And um, so, yeah, I, I try to use what I call emotives mm. uh, in, my, in my poems just to try and, and get, people, get people feeling something. And, you know, that can be, can be sadness or it can be anger or it can be indignation or it can be hope. I'm, I'm hoping soon to be publishing a series on hope because before I even wrote any animal poems, I wrote that series based on what I was seeing on LinkedIn uh, 18 months ago, that there was a lot of despair um, yeah. about what was happening. And that can, you, could still, you could still get that from, from social media at the moment. You could just get 99.9% .9 despair about what's happening. Um, but hope is an important uh, emotion too, um, or, or virtue in that sense, to because that that can keep you going when other things can't. So uh, I hope to be able to do that uh, as well to sort of intersperse my my poetry to say there are things we can do. There are things that people are already doing, no matter how dire it looks. There's always two choices: do nothing. Or, or do something and, you know, hope and other, uh, you know, and, and other emotions that I try to elicit are all things that can drive people towards doing something. Um, and you need, you need sometimes to go through the whole gamut of emotions, you know, to, to sort of fluctuate wildly between hope and despair and, and um, you know, anger and, and uh, sadness and, and all those sorts of things. It's, that's because we're emotional beings and we, we know about those emotions. We know that we can't ignore them. We know we have to temper them yeah. with um, logic and knowledge and education, um, but you, you can't hide them. They're still there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's really amazing, you know, how you sort of create that collective empathy and hope among uh, activists. Uh, I agree, can get... Uh, sometimes pretty discouraging when you see that there's so many you know problems and it gets a bit overwhelming you're like how can I allocate my limited energy and time um, to um, so many um, terrible things going on but having some sort of um, having writing that's more encouraging and hopeful is definitely very encouraging and uh, what you said about emotion turning into action, uh, that's very um, important. I think, you know, you can't, it's not always just about feeling good. It's about doing good as well. So I think uh, that's a, sort of a unique contribution of artistic activism. And uh, what would be your advice for other artists who want to use their work to create a social impact? What are some of the, what can they do? Well, you just you, you find if you can find some like-minded people, uh, and there are plenty of them, um, then you really have a good opportunity to collaborate. And as I mentioned earlier, those collaborations can then lead to to other projects. And in fact, one project 
collaboration that both Ingrid and I are working on together with uh, one million youth um, uh, one million youth agents challenge, I think it's called, um, based in Geneva, uh, is an artivism project, mm. and it's based on based on uh, young people. And I hope you can promote this a bit too, Nikki. Yeah. Uh, based on young people doing some artwork that represents one of the SDGs, one of the Sustainable Development Goals, um, and we've chosen life on life on earth um because you know i do a lot of poems about land animals um and also sea animals but it's still life on earth uh, there's other sdgs about water and this and that and the other thing but we've chosen that and we were we're we were also going to be judges of that artwork um because we were a, we were a uh, in that collaboration, when they said, you know, one, we've got one million in our name, you've got one million in your name, we should sort of get together somehow, and we did. It was great. Um, mm-hmm. So we've had a, a couple of Zoom meetings, and that program is is happening now. It's going to be a virtual um, uh, uh, exhibition of artwork, um, and it just happens to fall on um, World Elephant Day. So oh. we're working. We're we're working on a top secret project that <laughs> some people some people in this room could probably guess. <laughs> um, and uh, it'll it'll be we'll be putting that artwork up as a prize. Um, and it's just it's just a great it's great to be you know collaborating with people in your own street or in your own country or or anywhere around the world um, because we all want the same thing. Is it? Even those that don't know that they want it, they want to stay on this planet alive and happy and hopefully prosperous. Yeah. And uh, as because I think lots of people mentioned, there is no planet B, and there's no plan B. It's um, it's all or nothing. We have to stay, or we have to, you know, fall into a, a mass extinction event, and that's not what anybody really wants. No matter what they think they want, they won't want that. Yeah, um, that project sounds really interesting. Uh, if you, if there's, you know, a link for the website or um, just any information about it, we can definitely add it to the podcast so people can check it out. And it's great that it falls on um, World Elephant Day. On the subject of just the youth and uh, contributing to uh, animal activism, one of your objectives in writing poetry is uh, raising awareness, but also education. And I was wondering, what are your views on how students are educated about wildlife and conservation in school curriculums? My, our kids have all grown up and we have 12 grandchildren. I'm yeah. pleased to see, to see some of the stuff from them, from their schools, about you know, learning about the environment and, and um, other things like that. I, I haven't followed closely enough to know what's there but i do know that all of our all of our grandchildren love animals which i guess they got from from us and from family mm-hmm. um and some of them seem to know quite a lot about it so they must be learning it somewhere either from school which then you know they then go and do some self-directed learning on the internet or, or whatever it happens to be so you know i'm pleased as far as that personal experience goes I, I see also that there is, you know, there is a lot of um, learning about, you know, current current uh, um, issues like 
climate change and and uh, and the science behind that. So there, there must be it must it must be getting into the curriculum. But you know, it, some of these things can track behind what's actually happening in the real world a bit too. So uh, the more of it, the more of it, the better. Um, in general, I think that you know young people are are seeing the importance of of uh, nature and and biodiversity and and taking up you know that kind of um, uh, awareness that there is something needs to be done and that the older generations need to be doing the right thing and putting pressure on. <laughs> Uh, until they come up through the ranks and have to inherit something good or bad from them. So, you know, I don't, I, I can't really say too much about that, but I, I do believe that it's very important to know what's happening in your own country and in the environment of your own country um, and the ecosystems, especially based on the discussion we had about the importance of ecosystem services to humans staying alive. Yeah. And um, staying staying with the current, um, well, not for the majority of the world's population, but for a good portion of it, having a, a fairly good lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, everything you're saying is uh, very true and important, uh, especially about, you know, what we talked about, ecosystem services. I noticed in my school, we have an animal club. And I mean, personally, I just noticed that, you know, a lot of times it was people when I asked when, you know, we were asked why should animals like, why are they important? Usually the answer would be, oh, you know, they're just like really cute, which is true. But like also I think it's really important to look at it from a sustainability perspective. So um, I'm glad that uh, at least in you know Australia or, you know, in schools in general, they're including conservation more in the curriculums because it all starts at a younger age, uh, like you said, and in the end, uh, they're the real, uh, they're going to be change makers in the future. So uh, that's really important. And on a more personal note, I was wondering, I mean, you've obviously written so many poems. I know it's hard to choose probably, but is there a poem that is your favorite or personally appeals to you? And if possible, uh, would you like to read a few lines uh, from it for our readers, listeners? Sorry. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm thinking probably the most personal poem I ever wrote, which I sat on for more than a year, um, was one called Sacrosanct. Mm. Um, and one, one of the things that I'm, I've got a hashtag for is the word sacrosanctuary. And what I'm trying to do with that is get people to understand that, you know, life may be very rare indeed in the universe and therefore it should be considered sacred. Uh, we consider our own lives sacred, um, so we should extend that to all life, uh, whatever that means to people, and create a sanctuary for that life rather than what we're doing now, which seem, we seem hell-bent on, on you know, destroying the only sanctuary of life that we know of in the universe. So I'll read a couple of verses from um, sacrosanct, yeah. uh, because it covers that point and another one. Uh, so here we go. It's life, our light. Perhaps we're all alone in this cold universe. Maybe the only place where mistakes grandeur rules. 
But we're in good company. We're safe and warm, even the cold-blooded, all together home in one place only. Preeminent in my heart, I hold this true. Life is sacred, other life too. With it, I share my world. Earth is our sanctuary and more, where our means all, our sacrosanctuary. And then uh, nearly the last verse. It sounds like a mystical experience, however imaginary. It has to be. We don't yet understand how life sparked in a primordial soup pond or deep ocean volcanic vent. Yet it is the same spark in any single-celled creature as in every cell of our beings. In life, we are all bound together. So that poem um, had three excursions that followed, mm. which is another thing that I'm trying to do with my poems, and that is get create an earth sanctuary um, consciousness, which other people have done in the past, and I'm just doing my bit for it. Uh, the second thing is recognition of certain species, right. starting with um, great apes, cetaceans, and elephants. Uh, and so I wrote a poem on each one of those as excursions that belong in this, um, as other parts of this uh, sacrosanct poem. And, uh, you know, I've, elephants are really an important one that I've done quite a few collaborations on with yourself, as, as you know, but also with um, uh, Sangeeta Iyer and um, mm -hmm. the Voice for Asian Elephant yeah. Society. Um, and... I will be doing more because Shankar is still uh, in uh, solitary yeah. confinement along with so many other elephants that we could all name around the world, too many to name. Uh, and yet at the same time, you know, they're shooting elephants for trophies in, or poaching them in Africa uh, when the numbers are coming down. So uh, elephants is a very important one, but because of their social structures, um, and their communication, the, I, you know, I've, I felt that, you know, we have to start somewhere with recognising other species. So we'll recognise the most intelligent and the most social um, to start with. And that's where those poems came from. Right. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that the poem you read out, Sacrosanct, I think it evokes uh, such a beautiful message of harmony between humans, animals and nature uh, you know, in the end, we are just all cohabitants of the planet. So instead of, you know, working um, against each other in a way and uh, being exploitive, it's all about um, using each other's strengths just to create a more um, sustainable or, as you said, continuous planet. And uh, in terms of Youth for Animals, we're so grateful for your support. Thank you so much for uh, the work you contributed to our art campaign. That was very helpful. And um, yeah, I mean, I want to know how can listeners engage with your content? Or you have a web, you, you do have a website, but um, do you just want to say the website name, any social media handles, how people can contact you? Sure. Well. All, all the social media is good for contacting, of course, nowadays. Mm -hmm. But the website is the one million poetry, all one word, dot com. 
the1millionpoetry.com. Um, on uh, on um, LinkedIn, I'm uh, A.E. Anthony Lovell. And on Instagram, Anthony E. Lovell. So that's L-O-V-E-L-L. -L. So they're, they're the main ones where I'm uh, active. Try to sort of uh, do other things on Twitter, which are more, um, more direct and, uh, and maybe, um, uh, you know, more confronting uh, for some of those issues. But uh, those, the other three are where people can contact me either through the website contact forms or through the messaging associated with LinkedIn and uh, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds good. And we'll have uh, everything in the bio as well um, of the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining today, uh, Mr. Lovell. The work you do is so inspiring and we hope that listeners can uh, just gain insight on how they can contribute to um, animal advocacy or any cause they want in general using writing and art as a voice. I think that's a very important message. And um, yeah, I mean, thank you so much uh, for coming in today. Well, thank you, Nikki. And people would do well to follow you as well because uh, uh, you're quite a, a shining example of what young people can achieve when they get active and actually don't just think about it, don't just talk about it, but actually do something. Either. And you're being recognized you know, as an ambassador for Born Free and, and the other recognitions that you're getting are just the beginning of a long career, I would think, in, in terms of um, keeping that activity going, keeping that activism real and to the point. So thank you for all the work that you do too. Thank you so much. I appreciate that.